Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. Our theme song that you always hear this season is from uh, my band's album, Sinking Under. My band is called Two Fish. And that track is uh, from a song I wrote called When I Fall. Uh, It's a blues tune uh, that just uh, points out the fact that uh, when I fall short, uh, when uh, I fail, when I make mistakes, when I sin, uh, I fall uh, on the mercies of God. Well, you know, that's, that's a key quality that uh, we all need is uh, perseverance. And our guest on Sidewalk Skyline podcast today uh, will not be an interview, but uh, a session that uh, Bill Ryan gave at the Our City Toronto Conference. Uh, the Our City Toronto Conference uh, brought together people in Toronto who were involved in various aspects of urban ministry. And uh, Bill Ryan's session is about making it for the long haul. Ministry is a marathon. And uh, since graduating from Ontario Bible College in the early 80s, uh, Bill's been involved in urban ministry at Young Street Mission in many uh, capacities, and then uh, more recently at Scott Mission until 2021. And uh, now he's involved uh, running a uh, an outreach program at an Anglican church. So um, Bill has uh, endurance. He's been um, in this work for an awful long time. And uh, we can learn a lot from our uh, elders in urban ministry. So uh, let's uh, go now to the session with Bill Ryan as he talks about long-haul ministry. So this morning we're going to take a look at it, uh, our topic from a couple of different angles. One is we're going to talk about stress and where does stress come from and how does it express itself and how it impacts our lives. Uh, and then because ministry uh, is all about carrying others' burdens and, and that's a form of stress. And, uh, and then we're going to talk about those antidotes of, of how do we uh, develop a uh, a healthy lifestyle spiritually and holistically in every aspect of our life to, to have an impact uh, so we we can make it through to the end. Um, my dad came from Newfoundland way back in 1949 and for those that may know that year that was the year that Newfoundland joined Confederation, joined Canada. He came and he had to have a... My mother came in 48 from Newfoundland, he came in 49, they met in Toronto. Um, and they had to have passports to come to Toronto back then. And, uh, and so shortly after being here, um, somebody invited my dad to a Youth for Christ meeting uh, and uh, there he accepted Jesus into his life. And about two weeks later, uh, a friend of his invited him to teach his Sunday school class while he went on a two week vacation. And uh, my dad went for those two weeks and then he continued on because he gave him his own class. It was it was a Sunday school mission at the time, um, and then eventually he became uh, uh, an ongoing teacher, regular teacher. Then he became the the uh, the head of, of the deacons there, and then became the pastor of the church. And then he then many many years later he retired, and at age 90 he still attends the church and is still active in the church. 
somehow, somewhere along the way, uh, he learned how to keep healthy, uh, to recognize that the ministry is very much a, I'm supposed to be back here, aren't yeah, I? You're fine. Okay. Um, very much a marathon. That is not just something that, that we do for two weeks and, and we're, we're out of. It, it's, it's not those overseas missions trips that where, where we bombard a, a town and then, and then disappear afterwards. And so we we're asking ourselves, how do we keep healthy uh, in, in the midst of that to, to, to make it through? Um, when I was younger, much younger, uh, there were those that talked about wanting to burn out for Jesus. That they're going to give Jesus everything, and and uh, and that'd be like almost a badge of honor, that uh, a form of being a martyr, you know, that that um, I gave Jesus everything, and now and, and there's nothing left. Um, I don't think that honors Jesus. I think Jesus has a ha, has a very different perspective on ministry. So we're going to talk a bit about that, but. Um, this morning as Erin was talking about her community and if we're talking about uh, ministry at Jane and Finch, if we're talking about um, a, a ministry in, in Windsor, uh, or we're talking about ministry in, in, uh, in, in the Yorkville community here, which I'm involved with at, at present, um, all ministry is about that coming alongside of people. We stop, we listen to their stories, we get involved in their life as they allow us to. We, we spend time in, in sharing life together, that, that community that, again, Aaron was referring to uh, this morning. And in the, in the course of that, we begin to, um, to take on burdens. Now last night, do you remember this? Did any of you catch the, the, the main part of the, of the song that, that was part of the, the slideshow? For, maybe just you and I. Some of you were here. Uh, do you remember the song that was played with the, with the, with the slideshow? There's several songs. All my favorite people are broken. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great line. All my favorite people are broken. Um, and, and all of my least favorite people are also broken. Um, and uh, and so you must be a Leafs fan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, how do we persevere? Speaking of persevering, um, that that ministry means that we're going to be exposed to people who are broken, and in turn, it's also going to expose our own brokenness. And and uh, and so we are struggling to to learn how to deal with. Uh, carrying the, these burdens of others, uh, having our own uh, hurts uh, being exposed. Um, I should get on to some of these slides here. And I'm assuming I can hit that one. Um, not taking care, uh, sorry, be, being exposed means that, that we are going to experience stress. And oftentimes in, in ministry, uh, we're so busy doing that we don't stop to pause and we don't realize what's going on within us. And, uh, and, and, and it becomes this big elephant in the room. Um, I'm here and nobody acknowledges my presence. Uh, and so we're going to talk about this idea of stress and, and where it comes from. Um, 
but I thought I should get something in that looks biblical to start with. Uh, the marathon. I had to look it up because I knew it was, I think, 26.2 um, miles, but I didn't know what it was in kilometers, so 42.2 uh, approximately, I think. Um, just getting to the end. The end is near. How am I going to make it through? How am I going to, to hang in and, and make it those, that last little bit? So I want to tell a couple of stories that I just had um, in the past uh, three weeks. Joy is my daughter-in-law. Uh, my daughter-in-law and son are down in the States, and he teaches down there, and uh, she couldn't work and so because of uh, visa issues, but she could study for free. And so because her husband was on faculty. And so she decided that she would do her master's in humanitarian disaster and relief. Um, and uh, she was telling me, so she just graduated on uh, three weeks ago, uh, on the Saturday. And we went down our first time back to, to visit them. And, uh, and she was telling me more about the program that, that she was, had, had been involved in. And she said that a third of the courses that they take now in that program are not about disaster and relief, but are about taking care of yourself, keeping healthy, because so many people that are involved in disaster and relief burn out so quickly and so easily. And so the, those in academic circles are recognizing that and are saying we have to put something into the program to train people so that they can make it through that marathon. Um, <coughs> Julian, he's the, uh, the computer teacher at Young Street Mission, has set up a, a program that, that's there that, that's been running. Uh, he's been doing it for 16 years, and pr prior to that he did about 10 years at InterVarsity in Windsor, actually. Julian who? Julian Williams. Oh yeah, I remember that name. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah it goes way back. Um, and uh, so I, I said to him, we, we just had dinner together uh, a couple couple days ago, and I said, so Julian, like, like you've got this 25 years, 26 years of ministry, and 16 years in, in one job. Uh, like who stays in, in one job uh, for, for 16 years? And he goes, well, you stay to love it. Um, and and I, I said to him, well, what is it that, 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 that keeps the love up? And... Uh, and, and, and he says it, it, it's relationships, that the commitment to relationships. And so he has these kids from Regent Park, or were, some of them were kids in Regent Park. Um, and, and, and growing up in poverty, they got involved <coughs> at the computer lab. Um, and then he, he uh, got them involved after they went through their, their three or four courses. Uh, he got them involved in as volunteers, providing snacks for the other kids that were coming in and, and peer mentoring. Then he got them on, on the summer staff and some of them he was able to help them get uh, scholarships through Young Street Mission, the program that they have. And, um, and some of them you know, are 26, 27, 28 years old and, and beyond and now they have their careers. And now they're donating back and he still knows them by name, still has relationships with them. And so it's the relationship side of things that has given him life and, and inspiration. Um, and it's also 
He said the other part of it is that they've given them freedom, uh, freedom to be create, creative. So even though it's the same job, uh, they, they teach differently. Um, and, and so they're always making changes to the curriculum and, and the activities that, that they have for, for the, the youth. Um, recently, I have been working at a church just not too far from here, Church of the Redeemer, and they have uh, a drop-in program. Uh, with COVID, we are now providing meals at the front door of the church, um, and, uh, and we go out with carts and, uh, two days a week into the, some of the local parkettes in, in the neighborhood. Um, but she's been doing this kind of work now for, for 25 years. and. Uh, the other day we got a call from one of the businesses. Again, it's Yorkville. So Yorkville's known for ex exclusivity um, rather than inclu inclusivity. And, uh, but the previous director of the program has developed amazing relationships with the Business Imp Improvement Association. And um, so they called us up saying, we've got this guy sleeping in our doorway and he's blocking the door so people can't get up. So one of the very expensive condominium buildings and so would you come and uh, and and remove him it, and that's like remove like you feel like you got a shovel or something um, so I she said I'm gonna go over and I said well I'll, I'll come with you and uh, and she said what are you gonna do I said well I'm just gonna watch and so here's this guy flaked out and she gets down with him and gently begins a conversation with him at his level. And a guy who had been violent just 10 minutes earlier with the property management company, um, within six or seven minutes, very gently got up and, uh, and left with us from the building. The compassion that she demonstrated in getting down with the person and understanding um, the, the, the care that it needed to, to bring him uh, to a place where he was just able to get up and leave peacefully. Um, and uh, after 25 years, she still has that sensitive heart, that she hasn't lost it, that there's a spark that continues on. Um, and, and she's been able to survive, and, and, and not just survive, but thrive in the ministry that God has given her. Um, compassion. If you know your Latin, you have two words there. You have passion, which in Latin means to suffer. Sometimes we talk about love as passion, and suffering love. Um, but it, at, at its core, it has th this idea uh, to suffer. And then you put the C-O-M in front, means with, to suffer with. That we feel the pain of, the, of others. And, uh, and, and ministry is being exposure to pain and suffering um, in the world around us. And when we want to escape from pain, Actually, that leads us to more pain. I'm going to make a couple of references probably to Gabo Mate. Uh, he put out a book um, back in, I think, 2008. On, uh, he, he's a Canadian 
um, medical researcher, and he has these teams, and they work on special projects. And one of the, the projects they worked on was this this book on stress and how it impacts our whole body. Um, another word that we need to look at is to, to be vulnerable. The Latin noun vulnus, which means wound, um, that. Uh, that we are capable of being physically wounded or having the power to wound, but we both can wound and we can, um, we, we, we can uh, be wounded. That's what it means to be vulnerable. And in ministry, it's about being vulnerable to, to others. So we have these two words, compassion and vulnerable, vulnerability. Uh, that both lead us to this idea that there's pain and suffering involved and, and hurt. Henry Nouwen, uh, probably his, his most famous book, is called The Wounded Healer. Acknowledging that we too are wounded and we will be around people who are wounded. And, uh, and how, do we, how do we become people who in the midst of our own woundedness, in the midst of being surrounded by wounds of others, how can we be agents of healing? Gabor Mate said, if you don't know how to say no, your body will say it for you through physical illnesses. Another one said, uh, brain, body, and mind are inextricably linked. Alterations in any one of these three will intimately affect the other two. So if, if I'm struggling emotionally, it has to also impact me physically and intellectually. Uh, Glenn Taylor was one of my profs and mentors uh, from, again, Tyndale, OBC. Uh, and then he became the director, general director at Young Street Mission before Rick. And, um, he said that there's three physiological signs of stress. You either get it through migraine headaches, or back pain, or stomach ailments. That those are the three key areas where people can be sensitive to, or, or your body will tell you that, that, that you are under more stress than normal, than, than you can normally handle and the body is speaking to us in one of those three. So I'll be honest to this point in saying, here it is. I've never had back pain all my life. My father had migraine headaches. And if you ask, if we were to go around and, and ask each of you, you would talk about where you've experienced your stress in, in your life, how your body expresses it. A more complete list from Gabor Mate says that uh, the physical stress signs, headaches, grinding teeth, insomnia, irritability, anger, uh, muscle tension, gastric disturbance, high blood pressure, and rabbit, rabbit, rapid heartbeat. There's a lot of people in ministry have problems sleeping, insomnia, that they can't get to sleep because all the situations they 
they've experienced the day, the stories that they've listened to has gone through over and over again in their head. And the cognitive stress signs, exhaustion, negative rumination, thinking badly of yourself, it's all my fault. Inability to focus on a task, reduced libido, we won't talk about that one today. Uh, reduction in joy, mental fatigue, feelings of futility, and devaluing of co-workers. That's a secular person putting that list together, saying that these are some of the things that, that we experience. So we're going to look very quickly at uh, vicarious trauma, compassion fatigue, post-traumatic stress disorder, and burnout. Um, these are, are when the stress becomes even more than the simple headaches, backaches, stomach problems. So vicarious trauma is when caregivers such as clergy, social workers, healthcare professionals, judicial officers, when they take on the trauma of those that they work with, that, that there's an over-intensive identification with the survival strategies adopted by the clients. So they begin to, the, the trauma that the client has gone through, or the parishioner, or the, the church person, or the uh, community member that we're working with, um, we, we begin to identify so closely with them that we begin to demonstrate the symptoms of trauma. Not our own trauma, but their trauma, that, that we begin to bear it. I'm going to slip past this one, just to save a bit of time. Compassion fatigue, it's that cumulative outcome of caring, too much, caring too much and for too long with no end to be seen. So you're absorbing the trauma from the eyes and the ears of your client. Um, and it's a natural consequence of working with people who've experienced extremely stressful events. That at some point we take it on, we take it on, and later on I'm going to tell a story, actually a story about Rick's mentor, um, uh, where people take on other people's and the level, like the water level just keeps getting higher, higher, and higher, and finally they can't handle it and they collapse in fatigue from having demonstrated too much compassion. The post-traumatic stress disorder, the one we hear most about, um, is when a person's gone through a traumatic event such as natural disasters, car crashes, sexual or physical assaults, terrorist attacks, and combat during wartime. Um, I want to touch on these two in particular because here in Toronto, in, in particular, and the people that I've been exposed to most often, um, in the 80s, sorry, let me back up. In the, in the 1960s on Young Street, there was the hippie movement. You know, all you need is love, love um, that we can change the world. In the 70s, those that were on the streets or hanging around Young Street, uh, we wanted to party. That was my generation. It, forget the love stuff, Let, let's just have a good time. 
But then in the 80s, there was a, another shift or another movement uh, of youth that were identifying with street culture. And, and, and it took a while for us to, to understand who they were. And they were youth that were coming from all across Canada. They were coming from small towns, large cities, uh, farming communities. They were coming from French Canadian families. They were coming from uh, uh, the, the black community in the Maritimes. They were coming from uh, the, uh, the uh, Asian, various Asian communities. It, it, it seemed like there was no boundary to where they were coming from. There was a bit of everybody mashed in. And at first we couldn't understand them. And this is just when we started working with uh, street-involved youth in, in 1984. And, uh, and so Covenant House, uh, they had this, this shelter for them. And they began to do some research. And they were the first ones really to produce any information. And, and to, to boil down, uh, I think, an 84-page document, they said that 75% of the males that identified with street culture had been either physically or sexually abused in the homes. And 95% of the females had been sexually abused by somebody they, they knew that was close to them. And there was a footnote that said, and we think the other 5% are lying. What was happening in the 80s is, is, is there's this, this feeling like they had to get out and tell their story for the first time. Nobody, because of culture and, 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 um, and community, uh, people never talked about it. It was suppressed. But with the, the, um, the movements of the 70s and, and, and talking about, um, about uh, free sex and everything that was going on, and, and there became a, a freedom for them to talk about it. And I remember some of the girls that, that we were working with, and, and, uh, and, and they, would, they said, I told my teacher, and my teacher didn't believe me. I told the police, they didn't believe me. I told my doctor, he didn't believe me. I told my priest or my pastor, and he didn't believe me. Society had a problem in recognizing its own problem of what we were doing to our own children. And finally they were, had felt some kind of freedom that they could finally start to share their stories and finding some people that were starting to listen to them and out of that. But it's post-traumatic stress disorder. And we found that when we were working with the, many of the youth that they had the body of the 18-year-old or the 23-year-old um, and, and intellectually, they were smart, but emotionally, they were eight years old, 10 years old. And then the research came out saying that when a child has been sexually abused, that there's a part of them that stays at that age, and the only way to break it is through long-term counseling. And so they have experienced the stress disorder. Uh, later on, we began to. Uh, I, I switched from working uh, uh, with uh, street-involved youth to working with the community in Regent Park, uh, families living in 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 poverty, low-income families. And some of the families we we began to work with uh, were refugee families. And uh, Regent Park 
St. James Town were known back then as dumping grounds for Immigration Canada. Families would come to Canada, uh, uh, declare that they're refugees, and so our government, rightly so, opened the doors, provided a place for them to live, but many of them were living in these two communities back then. And we began, uh, many of the families were just poor, but then there were these other families that were poor and broken because they had seen things that you and I could not imagine. Um, we had a child, uh, Julie's not here, this is, Julie McLean is in one of the other sessions this morning. She was our, our, our children's worker. And, uh, and they were talking about bullying with, with the, the summer camp uh, children. And, um, and there's a new family that had just arrived from Syria. And they, um, the boy was just learning English and trying to take in all this information. And, and um, so the different children were sharing some of their own stories about experiencing bullying. And finally he put up his hand and he said, so bullying, is that when you come home and your house has been blown up? That's the only thing he could understand about bullying. That's post-traumatic stress disorder. Far beyond anything that is the normal that, that people experience. And so many of the refugees are coming with horror stories, especially those that are coming from war-torn war countries or being persecuted for their sexuality or for their political identity and the tortures that they may have ex experienced. So again, some of the uh, signs and symptoms, nightmares, flashbacks, um, physically responsive to the reminders of traumatic event. Uh, I, I, was, I was leading a group and, and I, I raised my hand and I saw this person jump back. Um, and, they were sitting in the front row. Like, it, it, it took a, a few seconds for it to click. Maybe this person's experienced some kind of abuse with the raising of the hand and the, the body just reacted. Um, having difficult time uh, falling asleep or staying asleep. Uh, more irritable or outbursts of anger. A friend of mine runs um, Adam House uh, out in the West End. Uh, working with refugees, again, who have just arrived, who have nowhere else to go. And, um, and she talks about the, the bursts of, outbursts of anger and allowing them to express their anger because um, it's part of learning that they're in a safe place now. Um, feeling constantly on guard, avoiding thoughts about traumatic events, loss of interest in one's positive activities, Difficulties in experiencing positive feelings. These are all some of the symptoms. And ending with Friedrich Nietzsche. Whoever battles with monsters had better see that it does not turn him into a monster. If you gaze long into an abyss, the abyss will gaze back at you. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Then there's burnout. Fatigue, low energy. Burnout comes at sort of at the end. When you've exhausted all of the, all of the gifts that you have, all the knowledge that you have, all, all of the energy that you have, 
and there's nothing left. And our goal today is talk a little bit about this burnout and then talk about how do we not get to there. Um, again, some of the, the same symptoms we talked about earlier. Uh, some of them, usually there's the bottom line after substance abuse is suicide or suicide tendencies. Um, so images, I've never done this, um, but I, I've seen a video where uh, you can light a candle at one end and it's bright, but if you light it on both ends, it's twice as bright. However, the candle only lasts, lasts half as long. And some have said that's the image of a burnout. Um, there's the campfire marshmallow. If you've, if, if you've ever done that, you've got the, the marshmallow and you're trying to get it that golden brown and all of a sudden it flares up because you held it too long and it's gone from golden brown to, to charred. And then you, and then you pull back the, the, the charred part and it's all gooey and mushy inside. And some have said that's the image that burnout is like. These are all mushy inside. Gas tank on empty. I remember one time, for those of us who live in Scarborough, we know that gas is cheaper in Scarborough than the rest of the city. And people come to Scarborough to buy their gas. Um, and our church was up in North York. And one, one night I had to rush my son to, uh, to youth group and my daughter was in the car with me, and then, and the, get, the tank was on empty. I thought, I, I just need to make it back to Scarborough, and I had my favorite gas station. Okay. And, uh, and we hit Victoria Park on the 401. And boom, oh. boom. I knew that there was a shell station at the turnoff at Warden, and, and it's downhill uh, to it. And I thought, I just have to get there. And then I have to hope, and so we get off, the ramp, we make it through the ramp, we go down the hill, and now I'm praying, God, don't let there be any cars uh, stopping me from t having to turn left into the gas station. And we made it, we coasted, and it stopped at the pump perfectly. But a gas tank, you have 50 liters, 60 liters, depending on the size of the car, and it's just a drop at a time. A little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less, and then you you have some warning signs. The gauge tells you you're getting low, but you go, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. I think I can get to my vacation. It's gone. And then there's this one, and and this was uh, the old-fashioned water pump. Do any of you remember that? You go camping and you got the, the pump. You pump up the water. So. Uh, Rick had this mentor, uh, Bill Leslie, in Chicago. He'd done, done his uh, practical studies there. And um, Bill Leslie had taken over a inner city church in downtown Chicago. Um, and at, at, at the height of the, the, um, the gang wars that were going on, and, and, uh, and it was in just outside Caproni Green, which was one of the worst neighborhoods in, one of the three worst neighborhoods in the United States at the time. And, um, and people told me he was crazy to, to take on the church, but he did. And, and within 10 years, the church had turned around. And within uh, 15 years, um, he'd been named um, American Pastor of the Year by Christianity Today. And, um, 
and amazing things were happening at the church. And, and they had uh, professionals coming to the church who were lawyers and doctors and nurses and teachers. And they would come in the front door of the church and the back door of the church was Caperni Green. And the community would come in the back door and they would meet together and, and they would... Uh, those with with the training and experience were were, were sharing and, and working amongst the, the low income community, and amazing things were happening. And some of Bill's friends realized he was burning out. Now you gotta understand, he went to Bob Jones University, a very very conservative Christian uh, university, extremely conservative. They're the ones you hear about the pink and blue sidewalks for males and females. Um, that was Bob Jones University, and. Um, his friends uh, were either pastors or one was a, a psychologist. And they, they said to him, Bill, you, you need to take time off. And he said, no, I don't. So they went to his church board and said, you need to give Bill time off. You have to force him to take it off. And so they did. And, and, and part of the arrangement was that uh, they sent him to a, a Catholic convent. Now, he was very conservative evangelical, fundamentalist mm -hmm. at this Catholic convent and this was in, in the early 70s. And this old nun was assigned to him. And so for three or four days she met with him. He just spilled out all of his stories and all of his hurts and all of his frustrations. And then he said, what's next? I've got nothing left to share. And she said, come back tomorrow. And the next day, he came back. And she said, Bill, your life is like the old-fashioned pumps. People would come to you, they would grab the handle, and they would pump out living water. And you were fed, and you were feeding, and you were providing them with life. And more people came and pumped that handle. And they too experienced living water. But the years went on and people kept pumping more and more of the water out. And what's happened is your well is dry. You've been pumped dry. And he says to her, oh, that's me. That's me. What do I do? And this little old Catholic nun said, said to him, you need to dig your well deeper. And he said, well, how do I do that? And this little old nun said to him, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the beginning of the restoration for him. So those are some of the signs of, of burnout. Um, so we're going to get to this momentarily. Uh, but I've rambled on for about 40 minutes or so give you a chance to, to respond about um, stress, compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, burnout. Any comments? Are any of you or have any of you taken social work training? No? I used to do training with um, students. Uh, who would come to, to do their student placements at Young Street Mission. And I would ask that question every year. Um, uh, or, sorry, the question I, I would ask them is, how long um, do your teachers 
tell you uh, the average lifespan of a social worker is. And they would say 36 months. Two jobs at 18, an average of 18 months and then out. Either move on in, in admin, into administration or move on to another career completely. Uh, I would say, and why is that? And they would say, because the stress is so high, um, the burden of caring. And they would teach people um, like things like, um, don't get too close. And they would say, if you have a desk, have your desk as a barrier to keep the, literally keep the person further away from you. Um, and and uh, they, they would talk about some of the, the other uh, things that they, were t um, that they were to learn in order to keep themselves healthy. Social work and, and ministry are very similar. Um, it, it's working with people and, and their brokenness and, and building community and, and, and trying to bring about wellness and transformation. Uh, but the difference is in, in ministry, we talk about incarnational ministry, fleshly ministry. Uh, God in the flesh, Jesus, came down and lived among us. And so ministry says, no, you've got to get close. You can't be too far. Sorry, no, it's COVID. You can't be too far away. Um, you, you need to come alongside of people. And so the, the way in which we are able to survive um, is to address the, the, the spiritual. As the nun says, you got As the nun says, you, you have to get closer to Jesus. That's the only way we can get through this. So. Again, I want to give you a chance for, for questions or... Yeah, how will you classify uh, those immigrants, the newcomers who would come here, like coming from different countries and settled in Canada and um, they're exposed to different culture mm -hmm. and the ch their children as well. So how would you classify them? Would it be classified as post-traumatic or uh, the, otherwise? The, the post-traumatic ones are the extreme. And, and there, there are different levels. People arrive, that they, they come, they want to restart their career, um, or that they've come with the training that they've got accepted at, as, as, a, as a professional, um, not necessarily allowed to practice what they're trained in, but they reestablish their life. They, I have a sister, or my wife is from the Philippines. Um, she has a, a niece um, who had done her medical training in the Philippines. Um, came here uh, and uh, had to do her retraining for two years. They, they recognized a part of her education and she settled and she's living out in rural BC and uh, enjoying life. There's really no stress. She had, yeah, she had to go back to school for two years, um, rightly or wrongly, but she got through it and uh, really no stress. But those that are coming from being tortured uh, totally different. Coming from war-torn countries. War-torn countries uh, yeah. or religious yep. or uh, political persecution. Uh -huh. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's very, it's so, and, and I, I recognize that there are different levels for each one. And, and to get up and to leave your own, your home country, especially those who have to learn a new language on top of that, uh -huh. 
that, that's its own stress, but it's not the post-traumatic stress. Because we have, because we're ESL, Department of PDSP, and uh, one of my our, one of my students would say she came from, I don't know, if it's Poland or something, and the way they arrived in Canada, and she was hurt in a bomb, something, kind of war-torn thing, and mm -hmm. up until now she's still in with it, and those mm -hmm. were 30 years ago. Yeah. But she's still coping with it, and since she was, her body was hit by a sharpener or something, she's still having this pain on yeah. and on, never stopped. So would you put that in as That'd be far closer to the post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And maybe this is where you're going next up to how, how do you do that? How do you, so you discern that someone needs to get close to Jesus, and then someone says, well, how, how, how do I do that? Okay. Is that where you're going? That's where we're going next. Okay. Five easy steps. A <laughs> hundred dollars per step. You're ahead of the Erin? I was just thinking, I once participated in like a day-long workshop about um, vicarious trauma. And the, the majority of people in the room, the, the context in which they worked was social work or nursing, different things like that. And so there was a lot of talk about, like, if you do feel triggered, like, leave your office or get behind the desk or, you know, like, those were some of the strategies. Mm -hmm. um, but for me and my, my coworkers, we don't have a desk to get behind or an office <laughs> to get behind. Yeah, that's right, a tree. <laughs> um, and so, we're kind of left actually still at the end of it unsure sometimes about in the moment what are mm -hmm. steps you can take to um, protect both the person you're engaged with and yourself. So I guess I'm... I may not get wondering. into that detail. Mm -hmm. Again, that might be further conversation. But some of what I touch on might also address some of that, so practically. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Any other comments? So there, here are the five easy steps. Um, to recognize the signs and uh, compassion, fatigue, and burnout. Honest self-awareness, seeking help from others, developing healthy practices, and then resources. Again, afterwards, if you want to look at some of the slides, we'll just leave it, or I could even send you the deck. So at home, Honestly assess your family and, and life relationships. Do you have a sense of balance? So my father, uh, he, he was what we call bivocational minister. He was a pastor and he had his own business because he was pastoring in the Regent Park community. And as Aaron was talking about, it, the church would never be financially viable. And so he had his own business. So he was a business, busy guy. But we knew as a family, every summer we would have three weeks where he was ours. We would go away, being from Newfoundland, every second summer we'd go to Newfoundland. But other summers we'd just go camping. Um, whatever it was, it was just the family. And, and our dad was our dad didn't have to be shared with anybody else. That was part of 
one of the things he taught us about healthy lifestyle. Um, making sure you have a, a proper life balance. Um, and a, honestly, a, assess your family life. Um, sometimes we carry these burdens and then we come home and start yelling at my, my family. And my wife would go like, where's this coming from? It was that built-up stress of the day. And it's taking it out on the wrong people. So being aware of the, the, the life, the lifestyle and relationships. Am I able to keep a healthy lifestyle? And there are many who have been in Christian ministry who have done phenomenal things only to have their whole life collapse because they weren't addressing um, giving a proper assessment and, and having a balance in their life. Um, and it, it is so easy to, to figure out. All you have to do is you have to take one week and track every hour of that week. In some cases, every half hour. And you can find out where you're spending your time and that'll tell you right then and there are you living a healthy balance in your life? At work, things like checking email uh, right as it comes in. Like I always have to be on top of it. And you, and you, not that any of you are that, right? But, but you know some co-workers. Um, always on their phone, always at their computer, almost afraid to, that they're going to miss something. And, and, and if somebody sends you an email, there's that urgency that you have to respond right back as soon as you get it, as though they are waiting for you and there's nothing else in their life. And, and the most important thing is that you answer that email at that moment in time. Um, or dreading to start the new day. If you're in a job where you're going, oh, I've got to go to work again today. And every day, five days a week, you're going, oh, i got to go into work. Um, Maybe it's time to reevaluate what's going on. We're going to talk about vocation shortly. Um, thinking about work constantly during your personal time. Can you leave it at the office, at the church, at the ministry, or do you bring it home? And is it is it interfering with, with your personal life? Inability to delegate and do everything yourself. This, the Jesus Savior of the world. Um, you know, I've got to do this. It's important that I do it. Or other people can't do it. Just, just let me do it. Get out of my way. It's a sign that things aren't, aren't right. If you can't properly delegate that desire to do it yourself. Uh, there's the honest self-awareness. Again, this is stuff, basic uh, psychology 101. Everyone has the five needs. Survival, love, belonging, power, freedom, and fun. And again, it's about a balance, right? All health is about a balance. And when you're unhealthy is when there's an imbalance. And so, um, 
if survival, someone coming out of a war-torn country, how do I survive? That they've got an imbalance in their life. Uh, if you don't have any freedom, then you have an imbalance in your life. Each one has to be addressed. And then there's this honest self-awareness of, of vocation. I, I, I do a full workshop on this one um, because it's so important. So you're, you're going to get five minutes of an hour long. Um, God creates us each in God's own image. Genesis 1. It's there at the beginning of the Bible so that everybody gets the idea. Everyone gets it right. But there, towards the middle of the Bible, Psalm 139. Now, I know that it, it, it's poetry. It, it, it's, it's ancient Hebrew poetry. But Psalm 139, in that description of how God creates us, forms us in our mother's womb, in, in innermost parts. And, and I, I read that passage, and, and, and I, I have this vision. And the vision is God in, in God's own Superman fortress up in, in, the, in the North Pole kind of thing. And, and, and God is, is there shaping Bill Ryan. And he's going through all the little jars that have all the different things in it. And so he puts the brown eyes in there. He goes, ah, oh, yeah, I think brown eyes. Bill doesn't need hair. I'm not going to give him that. <laughs> Leave that one off. Um, and... and uh, and he's putting all the parts together to form me. It's that shaping me in my mother's womb. And then he says, I've got to make him special. And he drops a little extra special thing in there that nobody else has. And then he oh, breathes into me life. That little extra special thing is what I would call the vocation beacon. And that little vocation beacon beeps out a signal to me for the rest of my life, saying, this is who God made me to be. This is who God made me to be. This is who God made me to be. Always calling me back to that image. But there are other beacons out there. My parents want me to be one thing. My friends want me to be something else. Society tells me take the job that has the most amount of money. Um, that there, there are outside pressures and values that, that, that pour in upon us, and they're louder. And their beacons are blaring out at me a message. Commercials and ads are always telling us who we should be and describing us according to other standards than that little beacon that God placed there. And the vocation beacon keeps on calling out to us saying, come back, come back. This is who I made you to be. And so, it's what makes us unique. I don't expect anybody else to be this person. And we struggle with self-identity. We don't want to be that person. We're not happy with it. It's, it's not good enough. It's not good-looking enough. It's not smart enough. It's not loving enough. It's not whatever we want to say it's not. And yet we know that God only creates beauty. 
And there is something good about this person that God made and breathed life into. And so we need to stop and we need to hear the vocation. But vo vocation means, it is again Latin, and the key word there is, is the voca. What's that sound like? For those that might know voice. Latin or music or voice. Voice. Yeah, it's voice. The voice is calling out to you. Some might say it's God's voice, some might say it's my own internal voice. But I need to listen to that internal voice of who I am. And only out of that then then we get our calling. Out of that we get our career. And we discover who we are and start to live it out practically. This is the internal this is the, 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 uh, the acceptance, and this is the practical outgoing, outworking of it. So Parker Palmer, if, if you're going to pick up a little book, and it's just small, um, it's probably, boy, I think it came out in 04, so it's hard, hard to be, it's 18 years old now. But it's a great one about vocation. Vocation does not mean a goal that I pursue. It means a calling that I hear. Before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I must listen to my life telling me who I am. I must listen for the truth and values at the heart of my own identity, not the standards by which I must live, but the standards by which I cannot help but live if I am living my own life. I, I know it's a little bit convoluted, but if you stop and listen, it's, it's that honesty of who, I, who am I. And again, you can pick that up afterwards if you want. Um, and how do we hear that voice? Silence. Because everything else is noise, right? Coming at you. And, and, and you can't hear the one voice that you need to hear. And so there's an art of being still. Removing all outside stimulation practicing the spiritual disciplines of your faith tradition, developing techniques, focusing techniques. So I had a mentor who was teaching me this. And um, he said, I want, our, our very first session, he said, I want you to go down to the chapel area and uh, you need to take a pen and paper with you. And you have one prayer. And the prayer is this. God speak to me. He said, as soon as you start praying that prayer, your mind is going to be filled with all kinds of other things. First, he said, you're going to have prayer requests for other people. That's not God speaking to you. He said, then you're going to be thinking about all the different things you need to do. He said, write down those prayer requests. Write down those activities that you need to do. And everything that comes into your mind, write it down. And he said, at some point, you're going to get tired of writing at some point, God's going to speak to you. He said, you have an hour and a half. So I went down to the chapel with my pen and paper, and sure enough, I had two or three pages of stuff that was coming to mind that I, I needed to, to get out of my mind so that I could go back to the prayer, God speak to me. And I'm finally there, and I'm going, God speak to me. And I'm being holy. You know, God speak to me. God speak to me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fortunately, I woke up three minutes before I had to go back upstairs to, to meet with him. <laughs> this is a, an important guy who's giving up his time for me, I thought. On my way up the stairs, I was making up lies to tell him of what happened. And so he says to me, so, how was it? And I said, it was interesting. He goes, well, how interesting? And I said, I fell asleep. And there was a coffee table in between us. And he goes, just what God wanted for you today. <laughs> oh, what a relief. God knew that I was tired. And God spoke to me by putting me to sleep at that time. Now he also said, next time, don't do that. <laughs> but developing the, the ability to enter into silence. Finding some places that are your silent places. Um, location, location, location. Thompson Park is almost in my backyard. I go for walks by myself in Thompson Park and have certain spots there that are my places where God and I meet. Um, and then Mahatma Gandhi saying, whatever you do will be insignificant, but it is very important that you do it. That's your vocation. You have to do what God, what God placed that in you so that you would do it. And when you don't do it, the world misses out. Martin Luther said, here I stand, I can do no other. Number three, seek help from others. Mentors. Regular professional supervision with an experienced senior colleague. Uh, maintain, developing and maintaining professional networks. Culture of support, friends and peers, church, and having a spiritual director. Um, that's not, let me back up. That's an ad. That's the commercial for today. Um, I'm a spiritual director. Dion is a spiritual director. There are many spiritual directors in the city if you're looking for, for someone. They're but great. I did one for a course and started to co-op, but it's like a, it's one of those things, I gotta send him an email and be like, hey, let's meet again. It's, it's a wonderful experience. There we go, testimonial. Thank you. <laughs> to add what he said, yeah, I had a spiritual director for my spiritual formation course at Tyndale, and even after that course was completed, like it's been two years now, and still he's my spiritual director, and hmm. it's just a great experience. And when you have those moments, maybe where you're feeling burnt out or stressed out, they can help to get you grounded again, just redirect you and. Mm -hmm. Help you find that quiet place and just put you back in, in that close relationship with God again. To journey with you, yeah. I have a friend who's also a spiritual director. I've gone to him a couple times for spiritual direction. And I called him up after not talking to him for about two years uh, last summer. And uh, his first word to me was, is his friendship or spiritual director? <laughs> um, also, the, the clock starts ticking. <laughs> Um, and uh, if, I, if I may add, I learned the, the difference between a, a psychotherapist and a spiritual director having recently spoken with a spiritual director. Yeah, 
they, they, they're complementary. Is that the right word? Um, and and they, they, they play distinct roles. Uh, uh, a psychotherapist uh, certainly is helping a person to understand themselves and to, and to deal with um, uh, the emotions of life and coping. Uh, spiritual direction has a tendency to, to speak more about this vocation side of things. Uh, it's about discernment, it's about understanding who am I, my relationship with God. And so, and they, they guide the conversation um, accordingly. And, uh, but again, um, you, you need both at different times. I and, agree. Yeah, yeah. Th thanks. I should add one more point. Yes. Change the font so I can get one more in there. <laughs> Develop healthy practices. So here you are. You guys are healthy. You're going to seminars, workshops, conferences. I, I made a commitment that way early, you know, my first year after graduating from OBC, Tyndale, uh, that I would try to either take at least one course or go to a major conference every year as part of uh, keeping myself healthy. Um, and also having that lifetime education plan. Um, I'm getting closer, to, really close to 65. And when you turn 65, uh, U of T is free. Really? Yeah. Now, you don't get credit, but you can oh. audit courses for free. Oh. Yeah. And, and not just U of T, but elsewhere. I just say U of T because we're downtown. And not just at U of T, but all across Toronto, uh, this is a hub. We have world-class professors and teachers, educators, to learn from. Um, and and there, there are free workshops going on at the different universities and colleges all the time uh, that, that you can tap into. And it's very easy to find out. Some of the stuff's just happening in your local library uh, that, that you can pick up again for free. Um, learn new skills or redevelop old ones. Um, Dion and I both grew up in the Salvation Army, um, and uh, part of the Salvation Army is uh, you're eight years old, they shove a brass instrument into, into your, your mouth. <laughs> um, uh, he plays the euphonium, beautiful instrument. I don't know if you still play it or not. Yeah. So um, I was on the cornet. Dion continued as long as he could. I stopped after about age 30, and about age 45-ish, my kids gave me a trumpet for Christmas, and I would pull it out three or four times a year but just to dabble with it. Um, one of my friends from church heard her son married a woman who just graduated from U of T in, in performance at, uh, in trumpet, and she called me up. Every year our, our church has a um, our candle lighting service and, and it really is like tiny talent time. You come out and different ones do their, their special things. And she, she called me up and said, I, I hear you play the trumpet. And I said, you heard that I used to play the trumpet. <laughs> and she said, I want you to play a duet with me at Christmas and wouldn't let go. So 
I actually practiced every day for two months to be able to play two Christmas carols. <laughs> and in between, <laughs> out of breath. But again, it, it, it's this picking up skills, again, refreshing. Sometimes it's brand new things. Um, I, I do stuff with Myers-Briggs. I don't know if any of you experience it, but Myers-Briggs, you say the same personality type until you're 50, and some people choose to change at 50 for whatever reason. And so you have truck drivers taking ceramics classes, and you have uh, bankers and, and investors taking uh, theology and religion classes. Um, and and it, it's this crazy mix that, that, that goes on. Uh, but picking up new skills. Adapting a, a, a plan to personal learning style. We each learn differently. So, uh, continuing the healthy practices. Yeah, there it is. Well, she's taking a picture of it, but how often are we pulling this out and looking at it? Constantly. Um, I have this in my pocket. I, I ride in from Kennedy Station to downtown each morning. And I have a choice. I can play on my games, or I can read a book about joy that's in my bag, which is basically this phenomenal four-day interview with um, the Dalai Lama and Bishop Desmond Tutu. Invariably, the phone wins out over that amazing book. <laughs> Like, how many times can you play solitaire or uh, whatever the other one is? Um, but turning it off, saying, I'm out of reach. Identify healing activities and attend to your spiritual needs. Um, and some of that might be counseling, some of that might be actual physical activity, healing activities. Uh, identify st stress relief solutions such as retreats and workshops. I actually have a list of retreat centers that you can go to for very reasonable costs. Um, some of them a bit of a drive, which is worth it because that gets you away from everything. Some of them are within 15 minutes of the city. Um, take time for relaxation and for lunch. Stop bringing your lunch to your desk and go, this is lunch. This, this is, I didn't get paid for, the, for this time. So the company doesn't own me. Too often we think it does, especially in ministry. Um, I, I'm at this new position and it's part-time, it's 30 hours a week. And we have 60 volunteers that are part of our program and they're constantly sending me messages. And I told the person I report to, I said, um, after three o'clock, I'm not answering your messages or our volunteer messages. You're not paying me during that time. And he said, good. <laughs> um, he said, you're right, you shouldn't be answering it. But too often we, we think that they own us. Take at least two consecutive weeks for vacation. Don't chop it up. Um, I had a, an amazing administrative assistant, extremely competent in everything. You, for those who remember MASH, remember Radar, 
and the colonel would ask for a file, and Radar would be walking in with it. Um, that's what she was like. Um, but I got mad at her because she decided for her holiday she was going to take every Friday off. But that doesn't give you a break. There's no actual time to remove yourself from everything that's going on. Um, diet and exercise, as, as best as you can do. Um, some of us love exercise, some of us, it's the last thing we want to do. Uh, so figure out something within your lifestyle that allows you to, to do some exercise. Um, set boundaries between home and work, as we mentioned. And don't place social worker in personal relationships. So I, I have different friends from different backgrounds and stuff, and, and sometimes they, when they're sharing with me just their, their personal struggles, that's fine. I'm not their pastor. Um, and when they cross a border, I've learned to say, you need to go and talk to so-and-so, not me. That's not my role in your life. Get involved in professional organizations and journaling to reflect on life events. That one, I'm not a journalist. I have tried. I have about five or six different notebooks at home where I started journaling. And it's got, one of them has three or four days, another one has one day. Yes. You journal? Exactly what you're talking okay. about. <laughs> Same with me. I have another friend who has banker boxes that he's been journaling now for about 40 years. Wow. Mm. And I said, what are you going to do with it all? And he said, well, I don't know. Maybe my children want to read. I said, I bet you there's stuff in there you don't want your children to know. <laughs> but he just loves to journal. Um... Employers are, are or should be offering much of this. Um, a lot of places are going away from sick days and are calling it personal days or, or something else. So that you can actually take a day off um, and just say, hey, I'm not coming into work uh, without having to tell them why. Um, and and, and that, that's, that's a beautiful gift to, if you have that. Uh, and, and very healthy and really good for both the organization that you work for and yourself. Vacation, we've mentioned already. Uh, most of us who have a benefits plan, that benefits plan will cover things like massage therapy and a whole bunch of other stuff um, that most of us don't bother with. Uh, develop a resource library, that could be something um, that you do yourself or friends, uh, do it with, with friends so you can share those resources. Um, uh, for the organization, having departmental days away, um, especially like I'm looking at this group here, uh, because you're, you're working in the same church or in, in some cases I gather together, um, I just have a day away where it's not about work. Um, where you're not necessarily even learning a new skill, but you're just going off and enjoying each other and, and uh, developing relationships. Uh, many places have uh, EAP, where uh, employee assisted program. Program, thank you. Yeah. Um, and where again they cover counseling, 
Um, if you think you're healthy, go see a counselor. Not, not, not that came out wrong. <laughs> um, like, it, it takes a bit of health to recognize you need counseling. And just having someone to talk things through. And if, if your organization covers it, all the better. Uh, monthly mediation, uh, meditation or lunches or walks. Um, again, Krista, who I talked about earlier, uh, at least once a week, she doesn't hang around. She goes out for a walk for lunch. And that's great. That's part of what keeps her going. And some organizations have an education fund. And if they do tap into it and use it up, uh, go to conferences, buy books, whatever you're allowed to do with it. Uh, a couple of books that I'd recommend. Um, the, the one I mentioned earlier by um, oh, Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer. Uh, Richard Foster, The Celebration of Discipline. Um, uh, as a way of learning uh, spiritual exercises. Uh, is, an, is again, it's probably 40 years old, but incredible book, and, and nobody has written another one um, like it that I'm aware of, unless Dion knows one. Um, it, it's quite thorough. There's some other good books out there. Marva Dawn has a great book on, on the Sabbath, keeping it holy, uh, but there are a number of other books out there uh, for that. Um, Again, for vocation, if you can get a hold of this little book, I heard the owl call my name, a little novel, novelette, novella, whatever. Very short book, um, written in the early 60s. Uh, a beautiful one about um, understanding vocation. And that was Bill Ryan. Please check the show notes uh, on our website, sidewalkskylinepodcast.com. Uh, so that you can look up some of the places that Bill uh, Ryan was involved in ministry. Well, you know, um, it's a great thing in, uh, in work for the Lord when uh, you're able to collaborate with the right people, be partnered with the right people. There's a certain syner synergy that happens where um, the sum is greater than the parts. Uh, two people working close together in the right way can have a multiplying effect. And uh, so in our next session, we're going to hear from E.J. Tupe and his wife, Cheryl Walsh, as they talk about their theme, Better Together, how uh, God uses uh, each other in their lives, and, and also just that, that power of collaboration that we get uh, there more efficiently we get there stronger when we go together so until next episode you're listening to sidewalk skyline podcast as always i'm your host kevin rogers come back and join us won't you